from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome to Work and Life. So glad you're here to join us in a conversation which we have every week exploring all those things related to work and the rest of your life, your family, your community, and society, and your private self, your mind, body, and spirit. I am your host, Stu Friedman, and I am the founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project, our leadership program, and I run a management consulting and training company called Total Leadership. Go to totalleadership.org where you can find all about our services that help people and organizations create greater harmony and improve performance in all different parts of life. There's free book chapters, articles, videos, assessment tools, lots of stuff at totalleadership.org. And new episodes of this show premiere Thursdays, 5 p.m. Eastern here on Sirius XM channel 132. And you can follow us on Twitter at SXM Business, as well as me at Stu Friedman. Well, I'm I'm very excited about today's conversation. The, The debate over purpose versus profit isn't new for modern companies, but the events of this last year, the global pandemic, the reckoning about racial injustice in our society, the, the ever more pressing concerns about climate uh, and more. Um, they should have executives calling today's guests for advice on the regular, and they probably do, for how to show people consumers especially, but people more broadly uh, in, in, their, in their social environments, in their, in their uh, markets, as well as their employees, their commitment to the greater good. This notion fits squarely within the, the general uh, approach that we take here on this show, which is to find ways of creating value in all the different parts of life, that they don't always have to be mutually exclusive. My guest is an internationally recognized leader in the field of social purpose, corporate social responsibility. I am delighted to introduce to you Carol Cohn, who is founder and CEO of Carol Cohn On Purpose. Carol, welcome to Work in Life. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you so very much. Well, let me tell listeners a little bit more about you before we get into the conversation. Carol Cohn is one of the pioneers in the field of social purpose. Uh, She began way back in the day, in the 80s. We'll talk a little bit about the origins. Uh, Today, as I say, she's widely recognized as one of the world's foremost social impact experts. Her work has built global movements, garnered hundreds of awards, and raised billions of dollars for a variety of worthy causes. She was the founder, CEO, and chairman of Cone Inc., recognized as the nation's leading cause branding consultancy. PR, we called her quote, arguably the most powerful and visible figure in the world of cause branding. And her book, her 2010 book, Breakthrough Nonprofit Branding, is a must read for people interested in this field. All right, Carol, again, thank you for being here. What brought you to the field of social impact and the importance of uh, purpose in the world of business? It it came from my gut. Um, I was a child of the 60s and the 70s. And I went to college during that little tiny window, the years of the 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 student strike in the Vietnam War. And as I said, um, I went to an activist school, Brandeis. I didn't burn any buildings, but I did march on Washington. And when I started settling after that and getting into my career, um, I started my company when I was very young, um, late 20s, early 30s. And a company came to me, the Rockport Shoe Company, and they said that they wanted to build their company on uh, some new idea. They didn't really have any money. There were 20 million in sales. And, you know, I looked at their shoes and they were way ahead of their time. But I said, do they have something special in them? And the shoes- I've I've owned Rockport shoes. Really comfortable. In my ancient history, like back in the 70s, I think it was that I last owned a pair, but- we won't digress to that too far. Please continue. Oh, that's okay. So Bruce Cates, the CEO, he came yeah. to me and he said, I need to do something different. And I looked at the mm. shoe like six, eight months. And I said, they're really good for walking. And so, well, aren't shoes normally good for walking? Not these shoes. They were supercharged. They had like a Nike entered and a street shoe outside. So mm. my gut said, give them more meaning. 
And we did some research and we found out that walking wasn't codified. Walking didn't have clothes. Codified, you say? It it didn't have, it wasn't like a sport. Mm. So we made, we created something called fitness walking. And we did, we had a fellow who walked around the country and he talked to kids in schools and he said, eat properly, don't smoke and walk. So we romanced walking first. We had to make it sexy per se. Wait, so how how did walking become sexy? Well, we had this guy who walked around the country, got a lot of press because he told kids, don't smoke, eat properly and walk. But then when he finished, we had a book and we created a walking institute. And the walking institute gave a general average person a way to do a little simple walking test. And then they could actually start fitness walking. And we launched a movement. We had, um, we launched it on, on Good Morning America. We had over almost 100,000 responses in those days, not on the internet, in an envelope. That's a and lot of numbers, a lot of people. We had to open them ourselves. <laughs> people even sent us dollars and $5 and said, this is really cool. The point was that Rockport became the leader in walking. They codified it as healthful. They grew from 20 million to 150 million by finding a way to have meaning in an authentic way in that shoe and to not lead with selling the shoe, they led with marketing walking, giving mm. that as a new fitness regime to the country. It just um, it, it changed the frame for for how people would look at this shoe and what it meant to them to own it and to to be a part of something bigger than themselves. I suppose is that right? It gave them a test. It gave them a physical fitness test, easy to do, mm-hmm. and so they could get again a regime and they could learn how to use walking for fitness and health. And that really had reached millions and millions of people who couldn't run, they couldn't do aerobics, but they had something that they could own. Then there were walking shoes. At retail, it became a billion dollar category. They became walking shoes, walking clothing, walking books, walking clubs. And Rockport truly just exploded in terms of its growth. And so why, had, why hadn't this been done before? Why didn't Bruce Case think of that? He, you know why? Because he manufactured and built the shoe. Mm-hmm. It was terrifically comfortable, as you know that. But it didn't have a, had a larger story. And it was also ahead of its time. But Rockport, unfortunately, I was so excited. I've been doing all this great work. They were then acquired by Reebok. Said, oh. you know, tier, tier. But then Paul Fireman at Reebok, a brilliant entrepreneur, um, grew that company from nothing to at one point being larger than Nike, he turned to us one day and said, you know, we're becoming ubiquitous. How can we stand for something that's really special? And how do we stand for something with young people? And we, again, in our gut, we did research and we found that young people were very interested in Amnesty International. And so we reached out and that there was um, Amnesty International that was going to do the new concert tour to celebrate the Declaration of Human Rights, the 40th anniversary. So we became the sponsor. But being a sponsor is not enough. That's very passive. We needed to have something that we could add to the conversation. So we created, my firm, Cone, we created the Reebok Human Rights Awards given to young people under the age of 30 doing nonviolent acts of human rights. Usually human rights activists get awarded when they're dead and they're 60, 70, 80. This, for, this was for young people and shining a light on what they were doing so that their issues around the globe could get velocity. Mm. And Reebok, you know, they did that program for about eight years. So was the, the acceptance of that idea by the executives uh, at Reebok, uh, was that just embraced with wide open arms or was there some skepticism uh, that you had to manage to bring people on board? No, that's a great question because in the earliest years of this work, and believe me, people thought I was nuts. They thought I had three eyes or whatever. What do you think? Yeah, go ahead. Why why did they think you were nuts? Business didn't go to market this way. Business was about profit. It wasn't about purpose. In those days, it was called cause marketing and cause branding. In the earliest years, the prescient leaders Paul Fireman was one. Bruce Cates was another. I got to know Ben Cohen from Ben and Jerry's and Anita Roddick. There were leaders in business in their gut knew they had to do more than sell. 
Well, people coming out of the same cohort, the same social milieu and cultural and political milieu that you and I grew up in, where this was a part of how we thought about our generation uh, and our purpose in society was to create positive change and not destroy it. Now, it's it's you know, it's it's nearing the end of 2020. Uh, At some point in this conversation, we're going to look back and say, how did we fuck it up so badly, Carol? (laughs) But but let's go back. Let's go back in time to where this began and tell me, how then did you get people at Reebok to say, yeah, this is a great idea. We need to go for it. Basically, it was Paul. We suggested to Paul Fireman this idea. And he said, this is an amazing story because when, when um, Amnesty came to them, they were looking for 10 sponsors at a million dollars each. Now that's 1988. That's a lot of money. Yeah. All listened to that idea. And this guy was so smart. He thought about it. Jack Healy left the executive director of, of um, Amnesty. And then Paul said, you know what? I'm going to do the whole thing. $10 million dollars. No other company. We're going to take the whole thing. Then he turned to me and he said, Carol, we know that it's not going to be called the Reebok Amnesty International World Concert Tour. We need our own thing. You're the genius here. You did the walking thing. Figure it out. And that's when we created the Reebok Human Rights Awards. Now, interestingly, Sting and Peter Gabriel, who were on the tour, absolutely that was their cause. Now, they weren't going to talk about Reebok writ large. I'm not going to promote this company. But when we decided to join with them on something that was so near and dear to their heart, there became this simpatico together that we were all leading with this issue to save young people and to add, again, miracle growth to the things they were doing around the globe. And so it became an amazing, the first launch we had Ted Kennedy, who was on our board. We had Sting and Peter Gabriel, and we would have them for free annually come to the Revive Human Rights Awards because we were celebrating really, really amazing young men and women putting their lives on the line for human rights. Wow. So so the way that you got buy-in was from the CEO to say, this is uh, such an important idea for us that we're going to make it central to our brand. Exactly. But, but you know, the thing that Central to, we were going to make it authentic. And today, the through line in doing all this work, and I've been doing it for over 35 years, is to be authentic. And how how you mean that is what I want to return to after we just take a a 10-second break here. I want to remind listeners, this is Working Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. Really glad you're here with us today uh, to listen in on the conversation with Carol Cohn, who's the founder and CEO of Carol Cohn on purpose. So how did that happen? Okay. How did you get buy-in? Yeah. In the early days, you could not sell this to any CEO. They had to want to do it. They Mm -hmm. didn't know the journey and how to put it together. But in their gut, they were saying that our company, and Avon was the same thing. We did Avon. We worked with Heinz in the early years. We worked with PNC Financial Services. They had CEOs who said, we need to matter to people. And is that what, is that what they, I'm sorry, is that what they meant by um, being authentic? Like, how did you, how do you understand that, that term and, and what it, what it means to you now, what it meant then in trying to help uh, executives say, yeah, that's something that we need to demonstrate in our marketing and our branding and our production and our employee values and everything that we do. I I don't think that they thought about authenticity in those days. Mm -hmm. They, because they were leaders and CEOs and had led companies, they knew how to rally people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I heard this in a, in a couple of days ago. They knew how to enable their employees. And the number one, the number, number, number one um, audience in this is employees. And, and many people that, oh, no, it's consumers. Let's, you know, let, no, no, you got to start on the inside. It's enabling your employees, not extracting from them. Yeah. And why is that central? And was that a part of the Reebok story as well? The Reebok story was more about being relevant Mm -hmm. in a world where when, you know, he fought to get his shoes on everybody, but once you get them on everybody as an athletic shoe, nobody wants them. What's the cool new shoe? 
And so you have to imbue the shoe. That's why Nike has been so brilliant over the years of all the associations that they've had with causes and issues and athletes um, on the world stage. So enabling employees, I think that's such an important idea uh, because it really speaks to what this show is about. And that is how you enrich uh, your own life and the lives of other people by integrating and creating harmony among the different parts of your life. And I wonder if you saw... Uh, and have seen over the years how um, being part of, a, of an organization that is serving a social purpose, how that changes the lives of people involved in, in producing and delivering that product or service. Well, you know, if you think about a skull, like an eight person skull rowing together, mm-hmm. ones that are just beautiful and they win the races, they, they are just in sync, they, they, they in sync with each other. And that's when you have, when you have a social issue that's part and parcel of the ethos of a company that comes from the DNAs, that's value from your values, mm-hmm. truly advancing an aligned issue with your business per se. That's the hardest part. What can you do that's aligned, that's authentic, that is sustained? So if you look at, for example, one of the, the, you know, the gold standard companies is Patagonia. Whenever I talk to any, any, any um, CEO about who do you recognize and who do you revere? They revere Unilever and then they revere Patagonia. And Patagonia was started by Yvonne Chouinard. He's still yep. there. I was just out in uh, Ventura last, last summer and uh, visited there. Uh, please say more about Patagonia and how they inspired you and the movement. They're so amazing because everything they do is about the environment, whether it's creating a piton that is going to take the least impact on the environment or, you know, or, doing 1% for the planet, or they have in their amazing, in the sustainability report, they have like 25 or 30 ways that they support their employees. One of the things they do, they allow their employees a huge amount of time to go out and speak to schools and speak to groups and whatever to talk about the environment. But they also allow their employees to be activists. And as long as it's nonviolent, and here's the amazing thing, if they get thrown in jail, they will pay for their legal expenses to get them out. Wow. They still believe in living and breathing a relationship with the outdoors, with their employees, with their customers. So I, I love Patagonia. I, oh, Chenard also, I think his, uh, his uh, autobiography was Let My People Go Surfing, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they were built on the idea that uh, their work hours were uh, around the tides of you know when the surf when the surf was up, uh, just a, a mile or so from uh, from where their headquarters were. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, please. Had around Christmas many years ago, and it said, "Don't buy this jacket." You know, because they were doing anti, they're very anti-consumerists. You know, they have um, capabilities and services to repair your products. So they don't end up in a landfill. So they are 100% committed to to the lifeblood of that company. And so how does that affect the people in the organization? How does it affect their lives more generally, would you say? Well, they're lit, if I can say. (laughs) That's good. Excited to go to work. And what happens when you imbue a true, when you find and discover the purpose, like why you exist, it unleashes this energy in people to work harder, to collaborate, to come up with solutions when you have the invariable challenges and barriers. And, oh, my God, we have a recall on something. How are we going to get it done? It, it, it drives and unleashes, oh, my God, so much energy. That is, that's not why purpose is being discussed and discovered and asked for by CEOs around the world. Um, because there is data that proves the benefit when you have less turnover in your employee population. And I would like to say that, that one of my favorites recently is Tata Consultancy Services. They are the largest global IT company, larger than Accenture, larger than IBM. Sure. Thousand employees. Their retention rate, this is going to knock your socks off. 88 to 89% retention. And that translates into a lot of money. (laughs) Longevity, understanding, commitment, client relationships. It's a lot of money. But, you know, Tata, actually, they're an Indian company. They're over 150 years old. I think they're the 
oldest purpose-driven company in the world. They started because Ramjian Tata at the time, um, basically he said they created trusts and that they said they are there to serve the community. 66% of Tata, the Tata company goes back to the community. So with TPS, when you join for three months, you learn about the company, the culture, and your first client is a not-for-profit that they provide pro bono services to. That sends a message. Amazing. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to work in an organization like that? So um, how has the field changed since you first got involved in pioneering this remarkable effort almost, what, 40 years ago? What's different now than, than back in the day? Back in the day, my joke was that, that I could have this conversation about purpose, and they called it cause marketing, cause branding, with four people. And it was the guys at American Express, because they did the Statue of Liberty Restoration Project by giving a penny every time the card was used. Nobody did this work. It was philanthropy if you were doing good. Nobody talked about it. You had to be humble. It was whispered. And what? it why, why, why was it uh, sotto voce on the world stage? <laughs> why wasn't it, it? It just wasn't there until the internet started exposing the transparency of companies. And people started saying, well, how is this product made? You know, where is it made? What is its impact? What is, do you have a diverse employee population? You know, are you giving back to community? And it was in the late 90s and then in the aughts in the early aughts where all of a sudden as and you know one of the great companies that did this was walmart you know in the 90s they were the most hated company you know they were you know and they realized the power of where their where their facilities were they had so many people mm-hmm. and they realized the interesting turning point for walmart was katrina and that was 2005. And basically, they were the, they're a logistics company. That's what Walmart is. And so their CEO at the time, Lee Scott, there was a picture in the New York Times of all these Walmart trucks back to back to back to back, ready to go back into New Orleans to help people from the horrible, horrible effects and the deaths and the destruction from Katrina. And what he said to his people, he said, this first time they felt good. But the company said, I want to be like that every single day. And so, you know, that was 2005. And so really in the last 15 years, companies are realizing, one, millennials and Gen Z, they don't just want to work for a company. That's for sure. My own research has, has shown that as well as a number of other people. We, we've looked at trends over time in terms of the values that young people have coming into the workforce. And it's super clear. I mean, it's, it's a truism now that uh, young people are seeking not just profit, but purpose. Yes. And, and they, want to, they want to integrate it into their work. It's their not- lives eight hours of time off or 24 hours of time off or something. You know, we worked with PNC Financial Services starting in 2004. Mm-hmm. Their CEO said, we're giving away all this money. It's not having an impact. It's all fragmented. Let's do something that is really core to what we do. And what they do is they invest in the local community. So we worked with them. We have a process that I won't bore you with, but we work with them to uncover a core issue, early childhood education, that no U.S. company had ever supported. But we knew that especially underserved kids, the ages of three to four, if they don't start socially, emotionally, and intellectually prepared for kindergarten, they will constantly go backwards. Mm-hmm. And when we presented this, the facts about early childhood to the CEO, and then an idea, and we said, you know, five years, $50 million commitment. It had to be big. It was like silence in the room. And oh my God, as an agency, you're going like, oh my God, he hates it, whatever. He turned to us and he said, not big enough. 10 years, $100 million. Just like at Reebok. Yes. Well, that was Jim Rohr at the time. And he, in his gut, knew that a bank has to stand. There's a bank and a bank and a bank in every corner of New York City. How do you stand for something that truly integrates you with your employees and with your consumers? What an interesting choice, early childhood. And let me just tell you, I'm so proud of that company because we partnered them with Head Start, a logical partner. We partnered them with Sesame Workshop, not a a logical partner, but they have committed. Why not? It seems a very logical connection. Well, you think about a very conservative bank in Pittsburgh 
Big Bird and, you know, and Elmo. Meanwhile, they loved it so much. They had to get used to it. Okay, I see. I see where there might have been a, a, a bridge that had to be crossed. Well, once they got used to it, they have committed this bank over 15 years, a half a billion dollars to early childhood education through not-for-profits in their entire footprint across the country. They have done research. They have done all sorts of amazing things. And we also created for their employees a policy of 40 hours, unheard of, of paid time off to focus on early childhood volunteering. And so that company truly, they have this PNC Grow Up Great program. They have impacts and they continue to do it through their new CEO, Bill Demchap. That's another another great example, and I'm sure that that too has a positive impact on how people at PNC feel about themselves, not just at work, but in the other parts of their lives. Carol, uh, we need to take a short break. Uh, folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back, and when we do, I'm going to be continuing my conversation with Carol Cohn. We're going to be talking more about purpose and about uh, her new project, which involves uh, my special Aflac duck. You're not going to want to miss this inspiring story. So stay with us. I'm Stu Friedman. This is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. We'll be right back. You're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio. Hey, welcome back to Work and Life. So glad you're here. I am your host, Stu Friedman, and my guest today is Carol Cohn. She's the founder and CEO of Carol Cohn, that's C-O-N-E, On Purpose, described by PR Week as the most powerful and visible figure in the world of cause branding. We're talking about purpose and why it's such an essential aspect of business life these days. So, Carol, uh, tell us about my special Aflac duck. Okay, well, this is, and thank you for asking. It's one of my favorite things that I've, I've ever done in my career. Um, the chief marketing officer at Aflac, who we had worked with at Western Union, when she got the new job at Aflac, everyone knows the Aflac duck. Aflac, right? Every, he's got a 98% awareness in the United States. Wow. And, you know, great marketing vehicle, um, but he didn't have any sort of purpose. He was a marketing, that was his thing. People didn't know that Aflac had donated over their history over $125 million to pediatric cancer. Why did they do that? Well, one, because the CEO, um, Dan Amos, they felt it was the right thing to do, but two, their first product was a cancer product. So here you had a company that had a, a multi-billion dollar asset, the Aflac duck, Aflac, but you also had that's, this. That's actually not that good, Carol. So I don't want to hear that anymore, please. Just kidding. No. <laughs> But they also had created the Aflac Center at uh, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, but they were very humble. You know, they're Southern. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're in Georgia. Mm-hmm. But because companies must stand for something beyond the bottom line, and they sell through agents, and their agents have a choice of who they represent. They had 17,000 agents. They had thousands and thousands of employees. And ultimately, Aflac products are bought by us at work. So could it stand for more? Mm. Long story short, and one of my superhuman powers is I connection make. You what? So, Sorry, say that again. Make connections between mm-hmm. disparate ideas. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's clear. Thank you. So basically, I was having lunch with a friend of mine, a fellow named Aaron Horowitz, who has a company called Sproutel, and he makes social robots for kids various diseases to help them mm. get. And he had created Mm -hmm. one with with Jerry the bear to help kids with diabetes. Mm -hmm. So we're having lunch. He said, hey, Carol, what's going on? And I went, you know, we're about to start work with Aflac. And all of a sudden, boom, over my head. Aaron's capabilities, the Aflac duck, smashed into each other. And in my mind, I said, we're going to make a social robot in the shape of a duck. And he said, what's wrong with you? You've got this strange look on your face. And I said, do I have an idea for you? Uh-huh. So, so we went through our, our strategies and our processes, you know, with Aflac and the marketing team and the philanthropy team, they have a great foundation. And we created this idea with Sproutel and then we pitched it to Dan Amos, the CEO. 
And again, it was one of those, oh my God, CEO moments. He's very quiet. He's not saying anything. He doesn't like it. Uh-oh. I know, you big uh-oh. But then you dropped your Aflac and the deal was done. Am I right? No, I didn't do that. Um, Aaron, who's this wonderful young man, he took most, he did most of the presentation. So yeah. Dan almost gets up. Everything's quiet. And he's walking and pacing around the room. And we're going, oh my God. He turns around and he says, that's the best idea I ever had. And to launch it, my, my, we're going to take our family foundation and we're going to put in a lot of money to launch this. I'm not going to tell you the amount. It was a significant amount. And so then we spent a, a, about a year developing the product and Sproutel is fantastic. They interviewed kids as young as three up to the age of 12. Um, they did 18 months of research with kids and doctors and whatever to find out. See, the insight that we had is that kids who go through pediatric cancer go through a thousand days of treatments. Mm-hmm. That's almost three years. They're lonely. They're sick. They have no agency, but they do like play and toys. And so we decided to make this duck, but the duck isn't a toy. The duck has three motors, four patents pending. It has emotions that you tap an emoji to its chest because children, they, they don't want to talk. You know, they've just had chemotherapy. They're six years old. They're going to get a port put in. And we have a video. And I really strongly suggest your listeners, they go to my special Aflac duck um, and they will see this video that will make them cry. Because it's a little boy named Eli and he's, he's getting it truly on, on our video. He's getting his treatment and he screams. And then we show him the duck and we go, look, Ducky's getting this. And he goes, can I try? He goes from screaming to totally being, in, you know, mm. you know just deterred. To That's really- powerful. It's great. And mm. so, but, the, but it got better because the point was that Aflac wasn't going to sell these. They were going to donate these to sure. any child newly diagnosed with pediatric cancer around the country. And there are about 15,000 kids that are diagnosed annually. So far, they've got 10,000 plus in the arms of kids through their hospitals, because this is a treatment regimen. Kids have to learn how to utilize it. And when we introduced it, which is so exciting, because I knew this was a great idea. We introduced it at the Consumer Electronics Show, which has- Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, this is a technology. This isn't a toy. Go to the the toy show. Hmm. And we entered, they have awards pre-show. We entered the technology for a better world and we won it. Wow. So we went into the show. We had a little booth, 10 by 10, no big deal. We didn't go with Aflac. We went with the inventor, Sproutel. We had, the media went crazy over this. So what's, was, been, what's been the benefit for Aflac and its people? The benefit's been extraordinary. First of all, their employees, we did pre and post pride. The pride is through the roof. Hmm. So the agents, the 17,000 independent agents, they talk to their customers and they say, I don't want to sell you something today. I want to tell you what my company is doing for pediatric cancer. Wow, they lead with that. Well, when they want to lead with it, they can lead with it. Um, and then the, the other thing is that, you know, you've got this story was so strong. We got 2 billion impressions that, that over 50% of the adult U.S. population knew about the duck because we did research and almost 100% said they would be open to buying an Aflac product. Yeah. So, plus, we went to Cannes, which is the, the, the global creativity festival, and we won two pan lions. And we also gave a speech. The duck got to quack there. So, uh, there, we also did an interview with the BBC, and they called me the Purpose Queen. So, that was kind of fun. That's awesome. Uh, but I'm sure it didn't top hanging out with the Dalai Lama in Calgary, Canada. I don't know if I could say hanging out, but he did, he did hold my hand. For so, five minutes, as I understand the legend. He did. He did. We were in a rope line. And I mean, to give your listeners some context, there was this big conference in Calgary and the Dalai Lama was coming to talk to all the citizens, but there was also a business conference following it. And I was the lead speaker because I was talking about businesses doing good. So we're on a rope line as he is going to say hello to everybody. And he held my hand for five minutes and I, I, I was like blown away. Mm. I also danced with Bruce Springsteen on the top of this really cool place in London during the Amnesty World Tour. So that's pretty cool, too. Wow. (laughs) So how would you rank those in terms of uh, life experiences, Carol? I'm putting you on the spot. 
the Dalai Lama takes it bar none. I, I mean, I so think Bruce would be okay with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so l- let me ask, you know, there's so much I want to ask you about where we go from here, how far we've come and where we go from here. Uh, and I know that listeners are, are, are going to be eager to hear your advice, your wisdom on, you know, they're listening to the, to you and to these inspiring stories of what these companies have done that you've worked with. What if, you know, I'm, I'm slogging away at my company and, and I sure would like to see us involved in a greater good that would make, you know, me more inspired, would, would benefit our company, would benefit the world in some way. What advice do you have for somebody who might be asking that question? Well, it's a great question. And I will tell you, I get two to three calls or emails or LinkedIn's a week about I am quitting my job and I have to go work for, for a socially responsible company. Right. Um, one, grouping your desires with others is very helpful. As we have seen in a lot of the recent employee walkouts, such as a lot of the tech firms about their firms being irresponsible, especially during COVID and the election cycle, mm-hmm. employees have a lot of clout. And what I would say is that, you know, look to others. Hopefully you have an employee resource group, Mm -hmm. different groups. There's African-American, there's Latinx, there's LBGQ and others where you might start something smaller that your group is doing. It's getting engaged in your local community, get some results, could be reputational, it could be new business, it could Mm -hmm. be getting some new employees into the company. Some demonstrable result that you could tout, right? Yeah, that's one way. The second way is hopefully there's so many articles and um, you know we've written them. There's blogs, there's podcasts and such. Share that with your head of marketing, your chief communications officer, your head of strategy, your head of HR. And if you can get something in the hands of your CEO, if he or she, you know, any CEO today, I will tell you, because we just did some research with the B2B world, uh-huh. manufacturing, technology, and such. even the B2B world recognizes that purpose must be a part of their company. They're not that good at activating it yet, but they're learning that they want to tell their employees, this is our North Star. This is our reason for being. And I wanted to read one to you. Sure. Mars is a huge company, privately held fifth generation, and, you know, and, they, and mostly they're known for their pet food. They, you know, Mars is a huge pet food company, the largest in the world, but they decided that they really needed a purpose. And so the family got together with their head of communications and some senior executives. This is what they came out with. And I love it. The world we want tomorrow starts with how we do business today. Hmm. The world we want tomorrow starts with how we do business today. So when, when COVID hit, they had a decision whether they were going to pay all their employees and keep them online, you know, keep them or not. And they looked at that purpose as their lens. And they said, is this the world we want tomorrow, laying off our employees or keeping them? It was a simple answer for them. And so companies, you know, this is a company that was a laggard in terms of finding their purpose. And I'm not quite sure who asked for it because there's just so many covers of magazines. The Harvard Business Review has its own special issue on purpose. You can't turn a page without hearing about it. So CEOs today understand they need the best employees. That's why employees are core. They need to be engaged, you know, not, you know, really to, 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 to have amazing energy, to engage, to invent, to solve problems. And that's why purpose is here to stay. So, so anybody can, can, start somewhere and and i think the mars credo or a statement of, of values is is a, is a useful one for orienting people to think about uh, who they are becoming as they're making choices about what they do each day let me just remind listeners hey this is work and life you're listening to it's business radio sirius xm 132 really glad you're with us i am your host Stu friedman i'm speaking with carol Cohn, who's the founder and ceo of carol Cohn on purpose so carol um as we look to the future what do you see as the the sort of next generation in uh bringing purpose into work where where do we have to go next based on you know where we have come from and and if uh if it's possible for you to weave into your response here 
what have we missed? What have we gotten wrong that, that we need to somehow try to repair? Well, I think, well, um, let's just talk about purpose in a company. That's a smaller universe than your question. Um, what we got wrong was purpose or philanthropy or doing good or community engagement was in the corner. It was a division. It was not integrated into the business. Mm-hmm. It wasn't part of the employee brand. It wasn't part of innovation and new product development or service development. It was siloed. And so that's where you don't get the value. It becomes something that is, you turn it, you flip it on and off, depending how the business is. Mm. That's not when you get the value. When you bring purpose into the center of a company and you have clarity about why you exist and you provide an action to your values for all your constituents, that's where you really, really um, benefit. And, you know, Unilever, because everybody says, oh yeah, what are the numbers? Unilever They have the Unilever Sustainable Living Plan, and they want to touch a billion people with health and wellness. They want to help 100 million livelihoods, and they want to have cut in half their carbon footprint. There are 29 purpose brands, and you know them, Dove, which which is great, or Lifebuoy Soap, or Nora Soups, or others. Those 29 brands deliver 69% of the growth and 75% of the revenue. It's huge. Companies are looking to, you know, they're just looking to embrace purpose and it's absolutely critical for employees and such. And, you know, I think authenticity is where they get it wrong. If they decide, you know, you know, the Pepsi commercial where you had the Kardashian giving the Pepsi to the cop, that was so inauthentic and they got nailed. You can really get nailed on the internet for just doing things in a very stupid sort of way. So what do you what do you hope the next 10 years looks like in in the world of you know bringing a greater sense of purpose and social responsibility to work especially as we continue to degrade the climate and you know not do enough to undo the you know centuries of uh, systemic racism in our society and etc uh, what can the private sector do and where does a focus on purpose come into play and seems it seems it's a i know it's a big question and it may be unfair but i you probably have a perspective on that i think that covid really taught companies how to act and their number one thing and thank god they all realized it was their employee base mm-hmm. i have to take care of the safety of my employees mm-hmm. and so whether you had a purpose or you didn't that's your engine and so companies realized they did that but then they they did something that i call smart generosity that they started taking their core competencies, for example, AB InBev, and they changed their manufacturing. Instead of making water, they started making hand sanitizer. And so companies started changing the way they went to market. You had, um, interestingly, I think post-COVID, you know, healthcare is going to be so important and reaching the underserved. So you take Centene, now your listeners won't know Centene, they're $100 billion dollars they are a healthcare company in this country to the lowest, you know, to, to the Medicaid and such. They partnered with Samsung to bring telehealth to underserved communities and rural communities. So you're going to see much more of these collaborative ventures to deal with these really, really hard systemic issues. You've got Quest, who's, a, who's one of our newest clients, Quest Diagnostics. We've all had our diagnostic test done. Mm-hmm. They're partnering with this amazing group called Choose Healthy Life. And Choose Healthy Life is, is going to work through the Black clergy in five cities to with Quest to provide COVID testing to the Black community that's been totally underserved um, during COVID, has had you know, the worst amount of, of, of deaths. And Quest and Choose Healthy Life is coming together in a very interesting way to close the health disparities in the inner city. Companies will have to do this. It's no longer nice to do. It's a have to do. You need to be authentic. You need to engage your employees. You need to find that core competency. What does Quest do? They do diagnostic testing. So they're going to do something. Not Yes, they could feed the hungry, but that's not core to their competency. So companies are going to go deep into their core competency and they're going to create these relationships and initiatives that are long-term. They're going to truly deal with climate, systemic you know, racism, and other things. 
So what would you say is the essential idea that you've brought to this field? Your creative connections uh, are, are yours, but you also, you have a method. What, you know, in just a minute, would you, how would you describe what the essence of, you know, what it takes to connect purpose to, to profit in a meaningful and intelligent way? Because it's different for every single company, every single person, I would say, right? Because we're, we're all, we've all got our own, you know, authentic story to tell. Uh, and it's got to be uh, differentiated and customized. What's, what's the, you know, the essential idea? Well, you said, what do we get wrong? One of the things that companies get wrong is they don't identify and help their employees find their personal purpose and link it to the company purpose. Mm-hmm. That's easy, but that's, that's truly the companies that are going to be huge growth engines in the coming decades. Um, simply put, this is about strategy. This isn't about, dare I say, I love CEOs who say, oh, I want to do this. No, 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 no. You've got to have a cross-functional team. Bring them together. You have to understand your values, your ethos, your core competencies. You know, where can you play? And you can't just do it alone. That's the other thing, that a company needs to have not-for-profit partnerships, which is why I wrote the book, Breakthrough Not-for-Profit Branding, to help not-for-profits be better partners Hmm. with their corporates, because together you create an incredible symphony. And then you got to measure the damn, you got to like execute really well, start with your employees, and you got to measure your results and measure the good and also measure the mishits. Because one of the things Unilever does really, really well. They talk about what they've accomplished and what they have missed. Yeah, you need data to, to get smarter over time. All right, so as we're wrapping up here, I want to return to where we began, where I asked you how you got into this. Now I want to ask you, just reflecting back on your remarkable career, how has your engagement in this work affected your life beyond your work? I, I don't want to give it up. <laughs> You can hear that I'm as excited today as I was, you know, 35 years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the beginning, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just going with the gut. But now that there's 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 research, there's codified ways we have an approach. It is so exciting to do this work that I'm not going to give it up until I can't, you know, probably so, walk. How does that affect how you show up with your friends and family? Oh, they think I'm a bleeding kind of like, you know, do-gooder. <laughs> Really? They do. They, they, you know, and I've got, I've got my favorite causes and issues. A friend of mine has an animal rescue for large cats Mm -hmm. called Ridge. And I, you know, they need money all the time. So I'm trying to help them out. Um, I, the biggest thing I do is I really love mentoring young people Mm -hmm. and I get outreach all the time because LinkedIn is, is the methodology and people go, well, how do I start? And I send them stuff and they go, oh my God, Carol Cohn responded to me. And I go, I'm just going to help you, you know? Mm-hmm. What, is it, what is it that drives you to be engaged in mentoring the next generation of people who are trying to follow in your footsteps or find their own path to creating greater uh, purpose in their work and in the, in the other parts of their lives? Just to ignite young people to, to fully bring themselves to their work and their lives is an extraordinary feeling. And, you know, I, I, every yeah, day going forward. I, I can't like, you know, I get these letters. I get a few letters and I have this little box of letters that every now and then if I'm down, I read them. <laughs> got to keep moving forward. And the thing is that we're now, instead of a table for four, there are conferences. There are thousands and hundreds of thousands of companies and people doing this work around the globe. There's so much need. The reason I'm not giving up is that we need armies of people at all ages and backgrounds doing this work. Everyone. Everyone, join in. Be purposeful. All right. So, Carol, um, how can people find out more about the remarkable work you're doing and how they can get involved? Well, they can go to Carol Cohn on Purpose, which is our website. We have fabulous, fabulous content. We have a weekly, we have a biweekly newsletter. And I do have a podcast called Purpose 360. So if you want to deeply dive into purpose stories, they're great. Um, <clears throat> so they really, they're human beings in business and these people and we you know leaders want to do good to, mm-hmm. to grow there's a reason it's called you know it's the power of ant it's growing the business by helping to grow society and you it's a win-win carol Cohn, thank you so much for joining me on the show today uh final word to, to our listeners that you'd like to leave them with 
if you find your purpose and if you find the right environment to execute your purpose, uh, you will forever be stimulated and you'll never want to leave your work. Now, your family may not like that, but work beca- doesn't become work. It becomes a joy. Well, and what I'm, sorry, pl- and I'm sorry, please continue. Finish well, your thought. It, it just, it's when you understand your purpose and if you're in a purposeful environment, the sky's the limit. Yeah, and I would argue and perhaps next time you come back to the show if you will we'll talk further about whether that creates value for your family or conflict i think you know it can be both depending on how you think about it and how you manage it uh but that therein lies the challenge but that's going to wait for our next conversation carol Cohn, thank you so much for joining me today really appreciate it it was a pleasure i love talking about it thank you so much and be purposeful listeners please got it will do Thank you. And thank you all for joining us. Don't forget to tune in next week, 5 p.m. Eastern. If you have a question about something you heard on the show, you can just write to me, friedmanatwharton.upenn.edu, or you can just find me on LinkedIn, uh, Stu Friedman. You can also write to our station, which is businessradio at SiriusXM.com, where you can follow on Twitter, SXM Business. Uh, Don't forget, you can find edited versions of this show for free eventually uh, at TotalLeadership.org and all kinds of other materials there, including free book chapters, articles, videos, lots of stuff. Um, So please visit us there. TotalLeadership.org. Patty Hall, thank you so much for producing our show today and our sound engineer, Chris Tooks. Thank you for the service that you bring and making us sound good. But most of all, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time. I am Stu Friedman. You've been listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132.